Joining us today from the Netherlands is Eric Dreisen, who is the Head of Digital Analytics at Greenhouse. He's also our third Crap Talks speaker turned podcast guest. So Eric did his talk, um, well, it seems like a, an age ago now, uh, way back uh, at Crap Talks 5 back in 2017. Since then, Eric and I have uh, stayed in touch over the few years since he's done the Crap Talks event. Eric is also the founder of his own meetup in Eindhoven named Eindhoven Analytics and Optimization. So thanks for joining us today, Eric. How's it going? Thank you for having me. I'm good. Fantastic. Well, um, so before we kick off into the, you know, like the depth of the conversations, you know, whatever that looks like, we haven't actually got any... Normally, the way these episodes run is I have a whole bunch of questions planned and I like to go through them one by one in a very conversational fashion. But Eric and I, we're, we're doing something special. And before we get to that, I thought it'd be fun just to have a bit of a, a, a chat as an episode as opposed to, um, you know, like a, a pre-written script. So, um, Eric, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I think there's a whole bunch of people who'd love to know more about you. Well, I've, uh, well I'm Eric. Uh, I'm currently the head of digital analytics at Greenhouse in the in the Netherlands, as you said, and um, it's a company in Eindhoven. I've been working with the digital agency for about nine years, almost. So it's quite a long time uh, working at an agency in general. I think I joined the agency as a developer, so building websites. Uh, when I was at the agency for about six months, I did a graduation thesis on uh, data visualization and influencer marketing, which basically got me in contact with the web analytics department. And I've been part of that department for about seven, seven and a half years now. So I like it. And uh, two years ago, I moved into to the position of the, the head of. Uh, so basically started managing the team. And I recently decided to make a switch to more of a, a content leadership role. And someone else will pick up the people and process leadership part. And I'm actually pretty excited about that because I really like working with the analytics products and helping our clients uh, solve problems. So I guess there's a couple of things in there. Uh, nine years at a company in this day and age is, feels like it's quite unheard of. Um, do you feel like it's, you know, your role, obviously your role has changed, but do you feel like you've continued to grow? Are you are you still learning? Is it still exciting and interesting? Yeah, I think it really is. I think one of the benefits I had is when I joined the company, there were about 75 people there and now we're around 600. So it's grown quite a lot. And I know a lot of people around the different departments that are still at the company for either like nine years or eight years or some even like over 10 years. Uh, and it really shows that you can develop in any direction that you want within the company. So that's something I really like. And they also actively support you with uh, programs to like, whenever you start feeling a bit like doubting a bit, whether you can still develop a lot, they actively support you in finding out where the doubt comes from and what your strengths are and, to develop a role that really suits your strengths well. So, you know, you mentioned that you're transitioning role from your your, your manager role into into this other role. What, you know, why the change? Well, the the change mainly came from that I I sort of felt that my energy was dropping a little bit within the company, and there are two ways to really look at that. And luckily, I had the opportunity to go with an option where I could really investigate where the drop in energy was coming from. And I basically found out that even though I really like managing my team and I have a really nice team with like good 
optimistic people. Uh, the people, the, the, the stuff that you have to do because you're a manager just costs me a lot of energy, even though sometimes it's only maybe 10, 15 minutes a day. They sometimes feel like they take hours to complete. And I basically tried to figure out a new role where I could really focus on the content leadership. And there's a room for that now within the team. So I just started like investigating what my strengths were. So what, what does give me energy? And a lot of those things are basically come down to creative problem solving, which is what I think is a really important aspect of a digital analyst. So mapping a client situation to the knowledge you have and sort of approaching it as a almost Venn diagram where the overlapping part is the perfect solution for a client. I, I'm curious to know, you you know, you said you did an exercise which allowed you to identify, you know, where you feel like your energy was draining. How did you, what type of exercise was this? Yeah, basically, we have the option to uh, select a coach for the process. And one of the things you do is there's this, I don't know exactly what the pyramid is called, but on the bottom part, there are the, um, the parts that drain energy. And also you list the things that give you energy. And then you define the things you see as uh, the needs that you have in, uh, in your role. So, for example, what I found really important is things like honesty, openness, and stuff like that. And I also don't really, really like, like you almost sometimes feel like when a company gets bigger, you have to push a lot of people in a certain direction to get somewhere. And I know that's really important to drive change, but I'm more of a person that really would like to tackle difficult and challenging problems uh, in more of a creative way. And then when it's solved, to use someone else to turn it really into a product and sell it at scale. Um, so I, I I just found out that like in that system, the things that gave me energy and my needs were basically came down to creativity, openness, trust, and stuff like that. And is like the company is nice enough to allow you to define your own perfect role. And then if you have a good like manager, he also helps you fit that role within the team. So now even other people within our data department are trying to, or, or are moving towards that new role that's more of a content leader. So it's pretty nice to see that also the the change drives other people to move in this or develop in a similar direction. I guess it's one of those things. I always assume that a natural career progression, um, obviously I don't anymore, but this is way back when I always assumed a natural career progression was, you know, you do your job and you eventually become manager and the manager of people. And then you manage bigger teams and bigger teams and bigger teams. And I just assume that that's the path that, you know, people take, but I guess I I've, I've since realized that actually managing isn't, I guess for everyone, and we can probably do an entire episode uh, on management, maybe particularly management within the digital analytics space. Um, but I, I completely understand that. I know I've wrestled with my, uh, own personal feelings around well, what do I enjoy most? I do enjoy managing a team, but at the same time, I love just sitting down, solving a problem, coming up with a solution, recommendation, you know, whatever it is, and that's where it, that's where I get my energy from. But at the same time, I just, you know, if if you take out the the paperwork and admin side of management, it's nice to see people develop and grow, and it's nice to be able to say actually, hey, I, I contributed in someone else's development. So it's I'm glad you you know your company allows for I guess their employees to move into the into the roles that is the right fit for them which is great um you don't see that much these days um so I guess moving on to the next thing is I mentioned in the in the introduction that you're the founder of Eindhoven Analytics and Optimization Meetup so 
tell us a bit about that. How did, how did that come about? I think we had our first meetup somewhere in 2016. And basically, we just started it because we thought there was no analytics meetup in the south of the Netherlands. There were some meetups around Amsterdam, uh, but nothing around the place where we had our office and everybody was working and we just wanted to set up a local community. So I basically talked to two of my colleagues and we decided why not set up a meetup group for analytics. We had one for front-end developers. We could also define one for analytical optimization. So together with two colleagues, we set out to make the first analytics meetup of the south of the Netherlands, which we called the Eindhoven Analytical Optimization Meetup. Super semantic name. I'm really proud of it. And um, first, we just had a meetup, I think the first one was in November of 2016. And then we had another one in 2017. And we basically had them uh, almost ad hoc. So whenever we thought, oh, let's do another meetup, let's host a meetup. And it basically turned out to be like once a year. And then around that same time, I also visited your meetup. So that was crap five you mentioned in the intro. So that feels like way back. But um, I really enjoyed that meetup. And what what I remember most of that meetup was that, yeah, you were just such a good host and so actively like talking to the community and then like giving, like welcoming everyone to the, to the event. And I was really inspired by that. So I thought, okay, for next year, I want to do four meetups in the year and also be a bit more active with the community. So that's what I started doing. So basically I took over the, the meetup and said, okay, we're going to do it once every three months and try to get good speakers, say hi to everyone who comes in. And we've been doing that ever since. So now we were planning meetup 11 for March this year, which because of all the current developments has been canceled, but we have some good plans coming up that we will probably discuss later. Uh, and now we are a group of, I think, over a thousand members, which is quite nice for a city in the south of Holland, I think. So, um, yeah, I'm really proud of that. What's different since you've you know, decided you're going to run, the, run more events? Has the group itself grown dramatically since you've taken this pivoting approach? Yeah, I think we were around 250, maybe 200 members before we upped the frequency of the events. So that's quite a big growth because it went from 250 to over a thousand, which is quite nice. We achieved that in, I think, a year, two years. So that's something I'm really happy with. But what I like most about the meetups is that sometimes it feels a bit like organizing one is like, if you like doing it, it doesn't cost you a lot of energy. So maybe that that's a bit in relation as well to what I was mentioning before regarding my role is that I just really like organizing them. And it almost feels like I just talk to some people and they say yes, that they want to give a talk. And all I do is welcome everyone, a short like welcome talk as well, and then give the stage to other people to share their knowledge. But people just really like that you organize that for them. And that's, I think, the part that I like the most, that you uh, really feel the gratitude for uh, organizing the event for other people. And if you had to give um, like one piece of advice to someone who is thinking about starting their own meetup, what advice would you give them? I think it would be just do it. It's fun. People would people want to help. Um, I would just start and get it going. And maybe at the first event, there are only 10 people. Maybe there are 20. Uh, maybe they're lucky and there are like 50 or two or almost 100 people. But I would say just do it. Just start doing it and see see what happens. 
I think that's a really good advice. I know that's something I told a friend of mine who was thinking about starting one. I think the other piece of advice I would give is you'd have you have to really want to do it. And I think you covered it nicely. When when you enjoy doing it, it doesn't feel like it's draining energy, right? But if you if you're on the fence about it and you're not even sure you want to do it, you're just doing it just because you know you feel like there's an, a gap for it then it's a bit tricky because it is time consuming. Sometimes it does feel like it's draining your lot of energy, but you're still willing to put that time and effort in because at the end of it, so when the, you know, the event is finished and you, you know, you have that final chat with the attendees and the audience and you have some drinks and everyone's telling you what, a, what great speakers are, you know, they were, or you, or you can see that engagement within the community. I think that's rewarding itself. And you realize all of the effort, the months of effort that go into planning an event um, is, is is worthwhile yeah i totally agree i guess we could move on to the sort of the main part of our conversation i think why don't you provide us with the current state of the world um eric and what wh- why are we here why is this episode called meetup mash well maybe it's good to go back i think for me it's around six or seven weeks now that i had a really nice event week coming up so i had a Monday planned where I was supposed to give a talk at one of your events. So I was really happy to be able to return to London to give another talk. I'm still very bitter about that, by the way. I'm so upset that the event got cancelled. Yeah, that's it, it's a pity, but we also know that there are probably other things in the world right now that are a bit more important that, than hosting your events. But I would still, I, I love to go to events. So I was really looking forward to that Monday event. And on Thursday, I was supposed to have my own meetup so that was edition edition 11 so i had both my inspiration meetup and my own meetup and then the weekend after so that friday i was supposed to fly to measure camp bratislava for the saturday so i had a really nice like knowledge sharing out there event week coming up and i remember that like the first message came in from hr that they were looking into all the like COVID developments and then the first thing they said was yeah we cannot go to events that will host more than i think 50 people anymore which was also kind of not i'm like i look at everything in a positive way so i also thought oh so they see the crap event as a big event they see my own meetup as a big event so it was sort of a compliment but also a compliment that caused me to not be able to go all to all those events anymore and it was an interesting time because back then like in the netherlands they were applying certain measures but they weren't doing that like everywhere in the netherlands yet and other countries were not implementing any measures yet so it was sort of a weird thing that things were changing and looking back at it now it feels like yeah why was i ever worried that i couldn't go to an event anymore because of course you should not go to an event right now i think hindsight's a wonderful thing i was the same i remember having the conversation with the guys at facebook who we were going to organize an event with where you were going to come and speak and i was thinking Oh, I hope Facebook don't cancel because it's it's you know it's Facebook, right? Like I don't, I don't want to cancel my first event with a company of that size. But in hindsight, looking back on it, it was one hundred percent the right thing to do to try and get a hundred, one hundred and fifty people uh, into a small space with this sort of virus lurking around. It was absolutely the right thing to do. Um, so yeah, so the current state of the world. Yeah, the current state of the world. Let let's call it interesting. It's, uh, I think, like, you see some fun parts, like uh, you can save the world by staying at home. You see a lot of messages that are trying to be optimistic. So they say things like, 
you can save the world by playing at home, which is really fun. And I think the only thing you could really do is stick to the rules that the government tells you to stick to, which is something I really try to do as best as I can. And I hope just that like all the people that are close to me and the people that I know get through this safe. But it's just, it's really, I also find it really weird how quickly you sort of get used to everything. Yeah, it's. Um, I remember that, I think this is week four, I guess, of self-isolation or social distancing. Um, and I remember four weeks ago, it just seemed like, oh, this this is crazy. But now everything just feels like the new normal. Of course, I hope this isn't the new normal for too long. And when we come out of all of this, hopefully things don't go back to exactly how they were before and, and people learn and we start to you know care a bit more about each other and we can find more ways to accommodate working from home and all of those types of situations but um uh yeah just you're, you're absolutely right i think it's strange to think how quickly we've adapted and i hope most people have adapted to working in these in, in under the current conditions um so why Meetup Mash? What obviously I know this, but I think I'd love for the audience to hear about why we're doing this Meetup Mash and why we're here today. Yeah, Meetup Mash. What I really like, uh, maybe should maybe I shall start with the moment that the idea sort of when the the moment that the idea originated from, which was I think a call we had maybe two or three weeks ago, and we were just discussing about uh, how how life was if everyone around you was healthy and safe, of course. And then I think somewhere around our conversation, we thought, hey, why don't we, this is also a nice opportunity to like co-host a meetup with two meetups from two totally different locations. I think that was the inspiration I'd been looking for because I know since this whole thing started, I've seen communities and people who run real events start like just throwing out virtual events. And I thought to myself, it can't just be another virtual event. Certainly from a crap talks perspective, there's always something special about the event, at least for me. And I'd like to think for our attendees as well, where we try to create an, a community and environment um, and find, you know, really good speakers who, 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 who deliver a truly wonderful evening for everyone. I hope at least that's what I think. And I didn't want it to just be a, a virtual event. So you're absolutely right. It was um, sort of like this moment where we were just having a chat about, corona and life under under isolation and and social distancing and suddenly is this sort of eureka moment of hey why don't we just mash these two meetups together and for me it just seemed like absolutely the the right thing to do because we have this opportunity where we can start you know bringing people together finding speakers from i guess anywhere in the world um and not having to limit ourselves because of location or distance or travel or anything like that. And I thought, I, for me, that was the sort of the spark I was looking for, the something special. Um, so what are we doing, Eric? What, what's, what's, what are we doing with this Meetup Mash? Yeah, it started pretty small where we were just thinking, let's, let's host a virtual Meetup together. But the idea that we currently have is that we Meetup Mash will be a platform that we can people who want to host a meetup or people who want to give a talk, they can go to uh, and they can collaborate on working on meetups together, hosting virtual meetups together. What I also really like is what you just mentioned is when I think of it now, it's also a way more inclusive thing than the regular meetups. I also like the regular meetups, but now 
anyone who lives anywhere can join the meetup. Anyone who lives anywhere can give a talk. And basically anyone who lives anywhere can host a meetup. And that's a pretty nice thing. So if we would be able to facilitate that for just a few people, I think Meetup Mesh would already be a success. You know what? You're absolutely right. I've, I know in the past I've had people say, hey, you know, when are you going to do a Crap Talks in this location or that location? And I've always wanted to. Obviously, we have Crap Talks in in Istanbul and we have a Crap Talks Manchester chapter. Um, but I've also had an unsuccessful Crap Talks San Francisco and Berlin chapter. We had one um, event in Berlin, but uh, unfortunately, the guy who was organizing it had to move um, back home to, to England. And so, the, you know, that group um, eventually became dormant. So I just closed it down. But I know there was still the appetite for all of those, all of the guys who were out there, and they wanted to hear from uh, speakers and have an, have a place. I guess I guess it comes down to not everyone wants to run an event, but so many people want to be part of a community that they can just you know drop in and out of you know without any of that commitment of having to actually run that event. And I guess that's why it's um, going back to my initial advice: you have to really want to do it to be able to do this. So um. We've got we've got the date fixed now, right? We've got we're doing 29th of April, um, and we've currently got three speakers lined up. Um, how many communities are we up to now? And and do we th- do how many do we think we can encourage to 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 join the the meetup mash? Yeah, right now, I think four communities have joined. I think it's Crap London, Crap Manchester. London Digital Analytics, if I'm correct, and uh, the Eindhoven Meetup, which I'm like part of, but I hope it will just like everyone will join the the Meetup group or the Meetup Mesh or whatever they want to do it or whatever we want to, um, however they want to do it. But yeah, I would just think it would be really nice if the community grows really big and it's just sort of a platform for people that they can maybe get help on hosting a like physical or virtual meetup, get speakers for their meetups, uh, just an, like an empowering platform, even though empowerment is maybe uh, too too much of a buzzword. I don't really know, but... I, I wouldn't consider empowerment a buzzword. Um, <laughs> so I guess, we, you know, we've got three speakers lined up. Um, I think from my perspective, I'd, I'd love for this to continue, be something that has, has been, you know, born out of uncomfortable circumstances and and strange times but something that we can actually continue even when things go back to normal i was going to say if things go back to normal but when things go back to normal um so at least you know we've got the we've got the website that we've the domain that we've just purchased we haven't put anything on it yet but meetupmash.com hopefully that can become a hub for all the information where we run the events but for anyone that's listening we'd love it if you do run your own community you want to be part of the meetup mash to come and just speak to us and I guess you can either invite your own speakers or people you want to speak, um, or you can invite your community to take part in an ongoing event. And I guess this, this, I guess from my perspective, the reason why I'm doing it is to prevent communities from going dormant. I was really worried about the fact that you know, there's I, ex- I have an expectation of myself to run an event every, I guess two two months. We do roughly do about five events a year. So having an ongoing meetup, even under these times. Um, and I'm sure there are people who are nervous about running a vote. Virtual... By the way, Eric, I'm absolutely crapping my pants about doing a virtual event. I have no idea how the 29th is going to go. I don't know how you feel about this. Uh, I feel the same way, but I think we'll manage. I think it's uh, it will be fun. I think people are also really uh, open to help, like to get helping out because I was first like also quite a, quite nervous to 
were quite nervous. I didn't know uh, how much, how many of the speakers of my like physical event would maybe also uh, consider giving a virtual talk because it's a different thing, of course. But uh, all of the speakers said yes. So it's really nice that also when you tell it to people, pe people are like, it's a good idea. I want to help out. I want to give a talk. So that's really nice. And it was also pretty fun that one of the people who wanted to join the uh, the LinkedIn group we have to just like help people uh, with like, speakers and organizing and stuff like that actually said, when things go back to normal, I also want to be involved in like the physical meter because I live in uh, Germany, but quite close to Eindhoven. So the virtual thing is actually also helping out the physical meetup. So that's a pretty nice uh, side effect, if you ask me. But like regarding the 29th of April, I have no clue how it will go. If things go well, technically, I'm already happy. So um, oh, yeah, we'll just see how it goes. You've taken the ownership of the uh, the technical role in this, right? I'm I'm going to be carrying the... Uh, well, I'm going to be emceeing the event. So, uh, uh, oh, shit. I'm just, it's just dawning on me now, the pressures of running the event. So um, I think we've got... Uh, maybe up to about 200 people registered for the event right now. I think the whole point around the meetupmash.com website, um, and I know something you and I are working on, how do we how do we create a virtual event where you don't have to join another group to be able to do it? And I think the whole, I think the website, at least from my perspective, what I'm hoping will help facilitate is if more meetups get involved, their own community members can sign, just hit the attend button on their meetup group but then all of the information, rather than having to share it multiple times across multiple groups, we can have it in a centralized place where we can just reference saying, hey, this is, you know, this is the event that's coming up. This is the details of it. This is the time. These are the speakers. Um, and then there's no, because I know right now we're using the Crap Talks London event as a central hub to get people to sign up and register. But I'm hoping that in the future, maybe maybe for the next virtual event, we'll have the a landing page, if nothing else, ready that just says, hey, here are the details, and everyone can sign up to their own um, communities. And this, again, will hopefully help bring other communities involved with this whole Meetup MASH project that we're trying to run. So yeah, maybe a little thing to, uh, to add here is that I think for virtual events, when I was uh, scrolling through Twitter a little bit, I think the biggest challenge most organizers have is they need a technical solution that facilitates an event of like up to about 200 people and those tools are generally not free they can be quite uh expensive even uh and i think it's good to just take quite of a pragmatic approach in that so for example i'm i just thought during one of the big meetup like meetings we had with uh, uh where they give the company updates to everyone who works at greenhouse i thought hey we are with 500 people in this in this virtual call. We could use this technology for a meetup. So I just asked our IT guys, can we use that? And they're like, of course you can use that for it. So we can use the technology like that. But maybe, and this is just an idea that we haven't thought of before, I think, maybe we should also have an option that companies can um, just volunteer with providing a technical solution to host an event. When I, before you and I had the initial conversation about doing Meetup Mash, I know the guys at Content Square who are a crap talk sponsor, they volunteered to loan us a, a virtual uh, webinar tool. And then there was a, a couple of friends of mine who, you know, one of them works at Google. And he's like, hey, Bav, you can use my Google 
business hangouts account uh, you know so they, they, as you've mentioned people have been really helpful and they've really wanted to help support their community and i think you and i we even before we agreed you know even before we knew that greenhouse had the um i guess the zoom pro account to be able to run this webinar you and i were thinking about just you know putting in half the costs into the uh, into a tool and there's just something that we could share right so i feel like you know if there are more communities and more people involved uh it alleviates some of this cost and if you know if we've got more resources that we can tap into suddenly we can create a, a much a much bigger event i guess and it's and it's something that's accessible financially to event organizers um and for i guess for speakers the benefit is you know you're you're reaching an audience that is outside of your location right yeah true and 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 it just goes to say that like everyone is really willing to help out so we have already several examples of companies that want to help out with providing a webinar solution um so also maybe going back to the question about like people are considering should i start a meetup group or should i host a virtual meetup i think if you start setting it up and you start involving people uh, with your event, you'll find a solution to all the problems that you have. Yes, I know I've been running, at least at the, right at the beginning, Crap Talks very lean. I begged, borrowed and stole office space and meetup space to be able to run these events. So uh, I agree. I think there will be people to help out. So I guess moving on to sort of like, we, you know, we have three of our speakers sorted. We have Miran, who is going to, who's doing a talk on why evolution beats A-B testing, which, you know, sounds fantastic. We have Megan, who is going to be talking about democratization, uh, sorry, democratizing artificial intelligence and why you don't need a PhD to do AI. I'm, that sounds fascinating, by the way. And as someone who doesn't have a PhD, I'm looking forward to uh, working out how I can do AI. Um, and our most recent um, confirmation, which is Andrew, who is going to be talking about optimization in the hardware world. I guess this is going to be this is going to be the something different talk. So I know obviously you've been at the Crap Talks event. We always have a something different speak, uh, talk. And I think uh, you found Andrew as a speaker, right? And I was reading through his talk description. And do you think this will be uh, the out there left field talk around that's something that's not quite conversion analytics and product related, but it's it's interesting and it's exciting and it's you know something you know how I guess maybe optimization is being used in the real world. Yeah, I think it will be a good example of that. I also got a bit of inspiration from the the something different talks do all crap talks have that buff we do yeah uh, we always have a final speaker who's um something different it doesn't have to be a talk right we've had s- some slam poetry at an event uh, i did i did a slam poem myself uh, when uh, I, in, in the absence of a something different speaker um we've had live music we've had someone who went viral for uh trying to make a wi-fi cup of coffee which was hilarious no sorry a wi-fi cup of tea um, but no we always have a something different speaker oh that's really nice so what i also started doing at my own meetup is just like be a bit more open to the type of talks that are given because i also experience that like analytics people or data people or zero people or data enthusiasts or like whatever you want to call them uh, they are really a curious bunch of people. So they are really interested in a lot of stuff and uh, normally th- talks that are a bit different. So I also had a talk once about a guy talking about uh, cardiovascular care and how to use data to improve that in the Netherlands. And yeah, that's just super interesting. So that's what I also had with Andrew's talk. Like, okay, how, how can you use data and analysis to determine if I'm correctly the optimal 
uh, if I remember it correctly, the optimal placement of your charging stations for your electric vehicles. That's just a super interesting topic, if you ask me. So it's a perfect fit. And I think it also works well with a uh, data-minded crowd. And you know what's been really interesting on your point there is um, where CRO, analytics, product people are very data-centric and I guess they just love, they love data and all things associated with it. After each crap talks event, I always do some type of um, qualitative feedback and, and select surveys and get some information. And one of the feedbacks I've had on, on numerous occasions is not every talk has to be actionable and take, you know, like where it's something you take away and do yourself in your role. Obviously, it's nice to have that balance, but it's also great when you can see the application of data outside of your nine to five, nine to six job. And I think for me, that's great. I love seeing data. At the last talk, I something different speaker. Um, he actually, he, he's actually um, sort of like an engine, electrical engineering manager and they make processors. And, you know, his, his talk was about how do you manage really smart people? And it's, you know, it's, it's something that I guess we all have to approach at some point as we progress further in our career and we become less hands-on. Um, we're going to be working with people who are super smart, much smarter than we are. And how do you, how do you deal with it? How do you manage it? How do you manage someone who's, you know, learned the latest technologies, the latest tools and all of these new uh, tricks and techniques, which you've, I guess, to some extent fallen behind on because you've had to take care of the management and the strategy and the business side of, of your role. So uh, yeah, I always like that. And on the, on the, I guess, on the topic of knowledge sharing, you know, what are your, some of your best tips on knowledge sharing? Well, I think knowledge sharing is just in general, a really good way to become like smarter yourself in a way, because you have to really structure your knowledge in a certain way uh, to be able to um, basically pass it on to other people. So if you can share your knowledge in a really good way and you see that people catch on to it and they get what you're saying, I think that's the most, maybe for maybe even the most valuable part of, of knowledge sharing in my opinion. And do you, I guess in, in, in many ways, well, I guess in every way, meetup community, certainly like meetup community like ours, you get meetup communities which are about, you know, building, finding like-minded people to go and walk on and do sports and activities. But I guess from a, when, you, when, you, when, you're, when you run an analytics or a data or a um, programming or a product or any type of, any type of business-related meetup, I guess the goal is knowledge sharing, right? So, um, but is it the same, I guess, as... as doing an online course and do you feel like you get more or is it a very different type of knowledge sharing? Well, I just, what I really like about uh, giving talks is that you, like you, you need a good story. But when I started doing talks uh, for the first time, I think I did one of my first talk. I think it wasn't that far, like that many months before I did my talk at your meetup. Um, but I also learned that if you have a good story to tell and you you think that's a good story, generally the public will find a good story a good story as well. So maybe a bit similar. The advice here is a bit similar as with hosting a meetup. If you consider doing a talk, just do it. People will probably like it. I think this, whenever I'm approaching someone who I think would be a a really good speaker, but they've never done it before. The feedback is always the same. It's you know, a bit nervous. Um, I, I don't know what to talk about. I think it takes that initial leap of faith to just commit and say, look, I'm going to do a talk. I don't know what about. 
and then go through your work, what you've done in the past, what you know, and usually some type of story emerges. I always find that the the key to a good talk is charisma. I think one of the one of the worst things about talk is when someone delivers really good content, but they deliver it with no passion. And I always find that I'm that's where I switch off. Obviously, you need good content, and you need a good story, and you need um, it, it needs to be it needs to be interesting enough by itself without the merit of showmanship. But I feel like if someone has got charisma, I'm always like I suddenly I, I'm, I prop myself up, and I'm, I'm I'm all ears. So if you had to give advice to someone who's never spoken before, with the without just the just do it advice, what would you what would it be? Well, tell a story that's true to yourself. So I think one of the first memories I have of a good story in data that was fun to tell was that uh, me and one of my colleagues back then made a made a website around the introduction of IBAN accounts, so the international bank numbers. Yep. Uh, and the idea that we basically had was there were like a lot of websites to convert like standard numbers into another uh, number and we thought, why not create a website that just generates a random email number with the idea that web analysts can use that to test uh, checkouts more quickly than they could before. So that's what we made it for. And of course, we like filled it with trackers because that's what we do as analysts. And it was pre-GDPR, so we were all good doing it without a consent. And um, we started collecting the data. And like a certain moment in time, we saw a big peak in like Russian traffic coming to our site. And we just thought it was interesting. So we started investigating. And we found out that was a link from Rustorka.com, which is, I think, a like Ukrainian-Russian gaming forum. And they were using our website to generate like fictional accounts to play Diablo 3. And oh, okay. that's just such, such a fascinating story to find in your data. And I started like including that as an example in a lot of our like analytic introductions and stuff like that. And it just works with like clients, it works with students, it works with uh, like colleagues in analytics, it works with uh, our uh, C-level people, like everyone finds it a fascinating story. So I think it you should just have a story to tell that's true to yourself. And because it's your own story, it's way easier to share it in a charismatic way as well. I remember, um, I don't know if you remember your very first public talk. That's n- That's non-internal, by the way, so external public talk. Um, I remember mine. I agreed to do. I was working for a betting and gaming company, and I and I and I agreed to do it just because I was good friends with our account managers. And they're like, "Hey, Bab, do you want to talk about some of the stuff you're doing?" And I agreed, and I was really nervous. I've never spoken in public before. This is even before crap talks existed. Um, and I just, well, I'm going to talk about the test we were doing, and I, but I needed a, a thread to tie the entire story together. And I was thinking about the approach we were we were using, and um, how we'd organized our optimization program to start off small and go really big. So, you know, we were, you know, we had a whole bunch of small tests we were running. We had a handful of medium-sized tests. And then we had that sort of, that, that whale we wanted to to capture that, you know, massive, I guess I say, I use the word test. I guess feature would be the better um, better term because we're not, we're not testing for the sake of testing. We're testing for the sake of improving the user experience. And um, I remember the, the thread that I tied it all together with. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Sir Dave Brailsford. He's the um, the, in, the Britain's cycling coach. And his he, he talks about marginal gains 
a lot in in sort of his whenever he gives interviews and how they optimized everything from for the British cycling team from their sleeping patterns, the beds they use, their the pillows they use, the brakes they took, and every you know every, all of the small details added up to the additional second gained in 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 the Tour de France to make them champions. I don't know four or five times, or however many times they won. And obviously it's all pre-doping scandals, but um, I really I really liked that story, and I guess in some ways we were. We were doing the same thing, and it was about trying to find those marginal wins. And actually, that suddenly became the thread that tied my entire story together. And that was the first talk I ever gave. Um, and, I, and I, yeah, and I still remember that. It was, um, and I was, as you mentioned, I, I was, I loved the story so much. I was so charismatic about it. I didn't care that my delivery was a bit shaky, or I maybe got a couple of details wrong. The overall presentation was well received, and I had a lot of good feedback afterwards. So, do you remember your very first talk? Yeah, I think it was. A talk at a university. I don't know if that really counts as like a public talk. I think it does, but uh, it was at a growth hacking event. So that was pretty fun because it was all the the big new thing was growth hacking. And I just talked about how to set up micro goals and macro goals in Google Analytics, which apparently is part of growth hacking. So, um, so, so that was fun. And I, and I also, what I, what I do now more, more, like it, it sort of happened organically for me, but it really works well to also start off with a personal personal story in your presentation. So to make it something personal uh, right from the get-go. So for example, like the, the I do remember very vividly the talk I was probably most nervous for because back in 2019, in January, I, I gave a talk at Super Week and like the Super Week crowd is like, yeah, they're the uh, the experts in a, in a field that yeah. you already work in, right? So you talk about analytics, and you have people like Simo, like Simo Havas in the crowd, but also Stefan Amel. And when you when you see that person nodding and you're giving your talk, that's just like I just did a happy dance in my head while I was autopiloting the presentation. Yeah, I was on the happy um, dance right there, and then I would have stopped and said, "Hey, look, Simo's nodding along, so I'm going to dance." Yeah, and it's especially nice that like. The analytics community is also a really open community and they are really there to help you out. So also when you're just not sure, just give a talk and probably someone will tell you what was good about it and if something could be improved, what could be improved. And we are people that like to optimize stuff as well, I think. So it's even nice that people like walk up to you and give you advice on what could maybe be improved on a presentation. And I think people also forget that no one really wants you to fail as a speaker. People in the audience are super supportive and, you know, they're there to give you the time of day and hopefully learn something from you. But they're definitely not there to watch you fail. And that's why I think people always forget. And I think that's where this fear comes from. It's like, oh, what if I forget? What if I do this wrong? It's just like, hey, if you do something wrong, then, you know, it's not the end of the world. I hate it when these um, podcast episodes hit that 50 minute mark without me even realizing and obviously we'll edit this down a bit more. But I guess we should think about wrapping up and... Um, maybe talking about the about I was going to say the future, but I guess we've already covered it under the um, the meetup mash conversation about what we think the future of events is going to be. So, one final thought from you, Eric: Do you think post Corona will virtual events be a thing that sticks around, or do you think we'll go back to the um, live events? What do you think? I think they will both exist, and in general, I just hope that. All the developments, even though they're like there's some pretty bad stuff happening right now, 
There's also some positive side effects. The things you mentioned also about like maybe there's some more flexibility in work from home and other stuff like that. I really hope that those things stick around. And one of those like positive side effects, I think, is more frequent virtual meetups and virtual events. So I would say, yes, they stick around. And maybe partly because we want them to stick around so we can make sure they do. Yeah, I mean, I know I'll keep trying and I'm sure you will as well. I guess my, my piece of, of advice for anyone that's watching a virtual event, but whether it's the, the, the joint meetup match that we're doing or any other one, is commit to the moment. I know when you're watching an event on a screen or on your phone or, you know, whatever, there's distractions all around you. A message pops up or, you you know, you get an email or you check your social, uh, social notifications. I guess if you're going to attend a virtual meet, a virtual meetup, virtual, virtual conference, whatever it is, give it the same type of day that you would give to a real event. And I, th- I think you'll find yourself pleasantly surprised. I know last week I watched a uh, an event, a, a friend of mine, so actually Sean from the previous episode, was a um, well, he was a speaker in, in a docu series, and I know when when I signed up to watch it, I, I switched all my notifications off, and I and I and I sat there for the full hour and a half, and I watched this incredible documentary on data science. So I hope people do take this opportunity to watch events when you know, when they're working from home without the distractions of everything that comes from working with a watching an event on a laptop. And um, so just to wrap up, Eric, what I like to always do is ask our guests um is there anything you've anything interesting you've read seen or heard recently that you'd like to share with our listeners well i've been reading a book lately like every morning before i really start working i started reading a book on ethical design so data ethics is something i think that's popping up more and more in your in people's news feeds and stuff like that and it's just a really nice book i think it's by the people of smashing magazine they are uh, pretty big in UX and web development, as far as I know. And it's just a really nice, easy to understand book on why ethics are important in digital experiences. There are best practices in that. And there there are like examples of how to set a good cookie consent window, which is, I think, something a lot of websites don't really think about when they set up one. Uh, so I just really like it. I'm almost through. And it's just a really nice introduction in why ethics are important in digital and how you can make sure that your company or your experience, your experiences stick to certain ethical guidelines. Brilliant. And is there anything you want to pitch? So, you know, be it how can um, our listeners get in touch with you or something that you're doing that you want to share? Um, I guess it will be the meetup match, but is there anything else that you'd like to share or pitch to our audience? Well, if people want to reach out to me, they can just always just find me on LinkedIn or Twitter, if they want. I'm always happy to talk with people. So also if you just want to grab a virtual coffee, I'm more than happy to talk. Um, and otherwise, I would just hope people to uh, to join our first virtual meetup um, and we can see what happens after. Fantastic. Um, brilliant. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Eric. Um, I look forward to the, uh, the meetup mash on the 29th of April. I hope we'll see many of our listeners there. Um, and if you are listening, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can learn more at craptalks.com. Past events, you can find at bit.ly forward slash craptube. Uh, we also have our Slack community where you can come and join. Um, and uh, you can follow us on Twitter, which is craptalks underscore. Um, unfortunately, craptalks was taken. So brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Eric. Um, I'm, you and I will speak again, but um, I hope... Um, 
yeah, I hope to speak to you soon. Likewise, and thank you for having me, Buff. My pleasure. Uh, speak to you soon. Bye. Cheers, bye.